Hello and welcome to Design is Everywhere, the weekly podcast from the Design Museum. It's Thursday, June 25th, 2020. I'm your host, Sam Aquilano, founder and executive director, and I'm joined by your other host, our amazing vice president, Liz Pollack. Hi, Liz. Hi, everyone. Kind of cool. This is our 10th episode. I know. I can't believe it. I feel like time really flies. Yeah, it's kind of crazy, but it's fun. Love it. This week, we're talking about an interesting mashup between design thinking and sales. It's always struck me that when I got my MBA, I didn't have a single class about sales. But of course, it's such a fundamentally important element of business. So when I learned about how some folks are infusing design thinking and customer-centric thinking into sales, I was extremely intrigued. We have an expert guest co-host joining us today. Ashley Welch is the co-founder of Somersault Innovation and co-author of Naked Sales, How Design Thinking Reveals Customer Motives and Drives Revenue. We'll chat with her about her work. By the way, she's also a Design Museum board member, so we're extra excited to have her on. And then Ashley, Liz, and I will interview Sachin Rai. He's a senior account executive at Salesforce who has put design thinking and sales into practice. Plus, as always, we'll have our weekly dose of good design. But before we dive into all that, Liz, what's new at the Design Museum? Yeah, I have some big news on something we've actually been working on since COVID-19 really hit in the middle of March. From September 2018 to March 2019, we've been traveling our newest exhibition called We Design, People, Practice, Progress to venues around Boston, Massachusetts and Portland, Oregon. It's an exhibition designed to inspire young adults, particularly women in communities of color, to explore careers in creative industries. In the exhibition, we feature people of various ages, genders, backgrounds, races, ethnicities, and identities, showcasing their unique career paths through stories and photos and videos, along with artifacts and examples of their professional work and their careers. So with COVID-19, of course, we had to close down the physical exhibition. But like I said, starting in mid-March, we went to work transitioning this physical exhibition to be online for everyone to enjoy. So I'm excited to announce that as of this week, the We Design online exhibition is now open on our website. And I really hope everyone can go and check it out. You just go to designmuseumeverywhere.org and then click on exhibitions in the menu. Yeah, I am so excited to have We Design open online. It's such an important exhibition. It, it was important before, and now I think it's even more important. And you know, folks are going to have a chance to learn about the people, uh, their careers that we highlight. Um, so bringing online was extremely important to us. And now, like this is a kind of a classic silver lining of COVID. People can check out the exhibition who don't live in Boston and Portland. And so bringing it online makes it more accessible and now people all over the world can check it out. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, as we've always talked about, we'll continue to add to the exhibition featuring more and more people over time. You know, We Design is now part of the Design Museum's permanent collection. So I'm hoping that everyone will check it out now, but also stay with us as we grow this important resource for years to come. Yeah, definitely. So good. Okay, just two more things to add. We have two events coming up. They're both part of our sketch series. So we have Michael DeTullo sketching footwear on June 26th and How to Draw Anything with Spencer Nugent on July 10th. So be sure to grab tickets for those. We're having a lot of fun sketching with these amazing designers and I know you're gonna enjoy it. As always, these Design Museum Live events are free for our members. 
Okay, now on to this week's topic. As I mentioned at the start, I never put sales and design thinking in the same sentence before, but when I heard about our guest co-host's work, it all made sense to me. Yeah, design is all about empathy and learning about other people and their needs, hopes, desires. And so I think, you know, maybe the best natural salespeople, they might sort of internalize this and reflect it back, you know, without even thinking. Um, and that's, we feel good, right? When a salesperson kind of gets us. Um, and I think at that point, we're more likely to buy. So our guest co-host has developed an entire methodology for accelerating revenue growth with the power of design thinking. She calls it sell by design. And she created a whole training and consulting practice around it. Ashley Welch is the co-founder of Somersault Innovation, a design thinking firm that has pioneered a unique approach to sales development, where they're teaching sales professionals the tools of design thinking to drive customer centricity and revenue growth. She's also the co-author of Naked Sales, a book that dives deep into that methodology. Ashley, welcome to the show. Hey, Sam. Thank you so much. I'm glad to be here. Uh, thanks for joining us. So to start, I was hoping we could just set a base of understanding for ourselves and for our listeners and talk about basically what is sales? You know, in my mind, uh, every business is selling something. Maybe that's not the case. But what does it look like from one business to the next? Well, I think sales is, uh, one, it's a human interaction. It's a conversation. And it, you know, I think a lot of people talk about sales as trying to influence somebody else. I don't know so much about influencing. I think it's about coming together and finding out whether you have a common view of what you both want in the world. And if you do, then there's a way to work together probably to solve a problem. And so your job as a sales professional is to deeply understand the person you're talking to, to understand whether there's a fit between what you're offering and what they need. I bet so, so many people would not define it that way. <laughs> Right. Like they would say like, oh, you're trying to just get me to buy something. Yeah. And the more attached we are to trying to get you to buy something, sort of the worst we are at sales. So that's detachment and more about like you and me, let's figure this out. And either there's going to be a fit or there's not. And it's, it's good either way. Uh, so I definitely want to get to the unique approach that you've developed, um, but kind of in line with Liz's first question. I'm wondering if we can dig a little deeper into like what sales looks like without design, right? Like mm, yeah. you saw a problem out there in the world or not maybe an opportunity. And I wonder if you can kind of the way back machine, go back to like before you started Somersault. Yeah. So I've been in sales my whole career. So over 25 years now. And um, I think what tends to happen in sales is there's this combo I keep talking about now is this uh, promise of pay and the pressure of sales. So when you've got money involved, right, it sort of corrupts our brain a little bit. And most people in sales are paid well, or at least paid when they sell something. So there's a lot of dollars on the line and then there's a lot of pressure. So sales looks like, particularly in tech and software, like literally like weekly, monthly, quarterly numbers that you have to hit. And depending on where you are in a sales organization from sort of the um, front end, which is called BDRs or business development reps who are literally, they've got the hardest job. They're making hundreds of phone calls a day or emails or LinkedIn, trying to get someone to say yes, 
all the way up to enterprise sales where you may just have a couple of accounts. Um, there's so much pressure on you to meet your number to the point where the BDRs and SDRs, the front end of the sales process, literally have a dashboard up that everybody can see. Like how many calls did Sam make? How many hits did Liz make? What area are they in relationship to these numbers? So it's just hardcore um, and very driven by numbers and dollars. I mean, I think many people have a bad impression of sales. Like that's at least the reputation. And I think we're we always say like we're trying to humanize sales and bring us back to our best selves, which is problem solvers. I love that. So can you tell us about, you know, your approach and basically what does Somersault Innovation do? Yes. So we are a design thinking consultancy. And what we do is we teach people the tools and skills of design thinking in order to be more effective problem solvers. And uh, we started Somersault Innovation because we just love design, the power of design. You know, it's so creative, it's fun, it, you know, you end up delighting people and reducing risk. Um, and however, when we got into this, we didn't even think about sales, but it was really quickly that we said, because of my background, like, wait a second, there's this, as you, Sam, started out with, like, there's this relationship between the characteristics of a best, the best designer and the characteristics of a bestseller, which is they're wildly curious, they're looking for insights, they want to be empathic and put themselves in their customer's shoes, they want to co-create and iterate with their customer for, you know, the best solution. And so we, I, I think of ourselves as translators, mm. like we started to say, how could we take these tools out of the world of design, not all of them, but pick the ones that really can help sellers be more effective and make them relatable and practical and valuable in the sales environment. And so we, we sort of uh, simplified, I would say in many ways, a lot of the design tools to make them really useful and practical. And we simplified the uh, design thinking process to just three stages to map to sales, discovery, insight, acceleration. And we spend a lot of time in the discovery space saying like, if you're a seller, like deals are made, uh, or lost in discovery. Like if you don't really understand your customer and really connect authentically and build trust, then the rest of the cycle, rest of the deal so cycle. So can you give us some of the, like the good. strategies that happen in that discovery phase? So I think, you know, a lot of times in discovery, discovery is like a very much of a sales term, uh, the front end of your sales process. And most of the time, a lot of Sellers will either this, you know, so much information online, analyst reports about the industry, about different roles. So you look that up, you look up LinkedIn, websites, and all that good data. Um, and what we're saying is like, okay, so how can you get deeper into this and really understand who you're what your customer cares about and what does their customer care yeah. about? So this idea, this notion of your customer's customer is sort of a new idea uh, that a lot of people like start to pay attention to so what and find value and so if you think if your customer was target their customer is all of us it may be other distributors um and you want to key into that mentality exactly and it's like okay so what could i do to figure out what all of them care about can i actually be a customer of target and uh, buy something? Could I return it? Could I call customer service and get it, this information about their brand that then I can use in my sales discussions versus just using either what I learned on the website or talk to you just about the or like your own assumptions about a retailer exactly. that you know aren't based on anything. Yeah, interesting. Exactly. Can you also tell us about insight and accelerate and give mm -hmm. us examples of those? 
Yeah. So insight's another big word in sales right now. Um, this idea of coming in with some brilliant insight about your customer that they didn't know so that you can kind of shake their world and then basically say, well, you know, based on this insight, you probably really need my services. <laughs> um, and so um, we talk about secondhand insights versus firsthand insights. So what we're looking for people to do is do all their research. That's the secondhand insight. Like you, I read this article, they say this. Firsthand insight is somehow your own experience of their brand so that you have some insight about them, about what their customers care about. Um, and it, hopefully it's sort of novel and interesting and it includes some emotion because that's what hooks people. That's what makes it memorable. You might find out information about what a segment of customers care about and you can say, hey, you know, in doing my research or talking to some of your customers, I understand that they get frustrated when X, Y, Z. What, tell me, what's your reaction to that? Um, so that's delivering an insight. And then acceleration is all about how fast can you, what, how fast can you close it? And we talk about the power of fast feedback. So instead of coming forward with your whole solution baked, can you get an sort of feedback along the way and iterate with your customer? Uh, can you use stories to really capture their attention? Can you use visuals and drawing and get them involved in sort of mapping out the solution in a way that they've got their fingerprints on it? And obviously we know the power of visuals. So those are some of the tools we start to teach in acceleration. Yeah. I'd love to get a sense of um, a somersault, like you're doing trainings, right? You're like training people to do this. So what does that look like? And I'm always interested in how designers train non-designers in design. I think one of the principles that I think about how we're doing that is again, this idea of simplicity. Sellers are a fickle bunch and I'm one of them. Like if, if you, I don't get it right away, it's too complicated. I don't see how it's going to add value. I am not using it. So our whole process and what we're teaching is to make it really simple. So an example of that is I'll talk about teaching people how to do a customer journey map. So traditionally in design, you use a customer journey map to articulate sort of all stages of a process, mm -hmm. all the activities, you know, what people are doing along the way. And it can be very complicated. So um, we've simplified it to say there's just, you're just mapping what are the activities and how do people feel along the mm -hmm. way? Because you're looking for the emotional highs and lows and where you can support them in actually feeling better. And, and doing better. So we will teach them just like, here's a simple, show them a simple graphic and then actually um, do like a role play and gotcha. how they could actually do this. So we did this with a large 200 person pre-sales organization that works with clients up front to really understand their process and then talk about various solutions. So we, we were in the classroom um, in the past, we'd be together face-to-face -face for a day, and that would include all sorts of like hands-on experiences. We'd send them out into the city, have them do different exercises around discovery. We'd bring clients in in the afternoon and ask them to have a conversation just to learn something they don't know with sort of sheer curiosity mm. and empathy. Um, and then what I think has been powerful about our model is that's we give them the tools, but then we coach them against the use of the tools in target accounts for the next three months, because that's where the rubber hits the road, right? And then we can measure, we bring them back and they report out on what's happened in their accounts. And um, that's where you can measure success or not. And, and the results have been pretty impressive. Can you share some examples of what this looks like when it's done well? And what's the impact or result for sales teams and businesses? Yeah, well, um, 
you know, I think we started our work at Salesforce five years ago, and I think they um, did do it actually really well. So um, I think and what went well about it is not only that people were using the tools, uh, but that we had a really strong leader who said, um, and this is true of anything you're doing if you're trying to change how people behave, but the leader who said, we're not going to take the you know, our foot off the gas in terms of your ability to meet your numbers, but we are going to create a little more space for you to practice and try these tools on um, and cut you a little slack along the way. <laughs> Any team we work with, there'll be a couple people who get this like wildfire and it transforms how they work and they have these amazing stories. Then using those stories to sort of inspire the next group. So we worked with another client where we had worked with the team for three months. They had these amazing stories. We then coached them to tell their stories to tell their stories at their big company offsite of a thousand people. So there were six different people who got on stage and told their stories and they were so amazing. And then of course people were like, how do I do that? So creating this <laughs> yeah, momentum. They want a piece of that. Exactly. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, I wonder if you could talk about, you know, this, I can see how this all works for like B2B companies or like businesses that sell to other businesses, mm -hmm. but how can say like an entrepreneur or I keep thinking about small businesses and how they need like the same strategies. How, how can that apply to, you know, smaller, small and medium businesses, let's say. Well, I think so much about what we're teaching is this mindset shift that you already know of this, like put yourselves in the shoes of your customer. Um, there was one Matt who we were working with said, you know, you just flipped everything on its head. He said, wait a second, you're teaching me to fall in love with my customer. And uh, we said, yes, like, that's it. Like get in the head of your customer, have some experience of them. And then how you engage looks totally different. So this sort of mindset shift. And I think that's so obvious, but we get lost oh, totally. in our belief, right? Our belief in what we're selling or lost in all the things we have to manage. And it's easy sometimes just to forget about that. Yeah, we've talked about it a bunch on the podcast in past episodes or like people just like aren't talking to their users or customers. And the three of us, yeah. of course, are like, that's the easiest thing. Easiest thing in the world. How can you not? And then they're like, oh my God, yeah. I learned so as much. As soon as they get it, they get it. Yeah. Or you get stuck cool. in like talking points. You know, sales can't yeah, just exactly. be like the same for everybody. Every person's different. Yeah, that's true. I think there's also this big myth around um, like expertise trumps curiosity. Is my only own belief, but you know, like we're hired because we're smart. We have to have all this marketing data that comes our way that we're supposed to talk about. And um, there's a lot of complexity and complex solutions that you might be selling. Um, and so we get caught up in all these things and I want to prove I'm smart, right? Yeah. Versus like all of us as human beings are wired to want to first understand, do I trust you? Do I feel warmth and connection? And secondly, do I think you're smart? Do I care about your expertise? So that warmth and and connection comes from curiosity, um, first and foremost. All right. Thanks so much for chatting with us, Ashley. You're welcome. Listeners, you can check out Ashley's work uh, to bring design thinking into sales on her firm's website. Visit somersaultinnovation.com and we'll put a link on our show page. Ashley, please stay with us. We'd love to have you join our conversation with Sachin from Salesforce. 
If you like this podcast, then you will love Design Museum Everywhere. It's a museum that comes to you wherever you are. That's right. Design Museum Everywhere is all about making design education and inspiration accessible to everyone. Become a member today and join a global community of design thought leaders and change makers. Everyone can be a designer. We can all appreciate and advocate for the transformational impact that design can have. Membership starts at just $3 a month and you get access to virtual Design Museum live events, discounts, and our Design Museum magazine sent right to your doorstep. Just go to designmuseumeverywhere.org to join today, and your name will be listed in our next issue of Design Museum magazine, which will be sent to Design Museum members all over the world. That's designmuseumeverywhere.org to be part of this global community. And we're back, and we're joined by a special guest. Sachin Rai is a senior account executive at Salesforce, the epic customer relationship management platform that brings companies and customers together and includes things like marketing, sales, e-commerce, and lots of other services, all under one cloud-based tool. Sachin has over 15 years of combined sales and marketing experience, and he's adopted a design thinking mindset with his work in sales, which we're gonna dig into right now. Welcome to the show, Sachin. Thanks so much, Sam. Great to be here. Oh, thanks for being here. We really appreciate it. Uh, I'm hoping to kick things off, can you tell us a bit about your role at Salesforce, what you do? Okay, so uh, my role basically depends on how much run rate business I bring to Salesforce. So think about me as a quarterback who supports different sales team bringing in revenue to the customer and to Salesforce where we can help them generate run rate business. So everything in Salesforce we do is we divide it into teams. So I'm part of a team which brings in run rate business. When you say run rate business, what what does that mean? Yeah, so run rate business is um, a lot of these enterprise customers have big deals which could go on anywhere close to a million dollars to three million. And there could be deals which could be smaller deals, which could be 40,000, 50,000, or $100,000 deal. These are really important deals for um, any uh, company. And the reason for that is because the longer the deal, the bigger the deal, the longer the sales cycle. So what we do is we rely on salespeople to bring in these smaller deals, which could really help them bring transaction and keep the book of business going. So we are here to bring that book of business and kind of keep that number ticking so that when the big deal happens, we are uh, you know, ticking in with the smaller deals. These are all software deals, like software, like a CRM. Yeah. Got it. So could you talk about you know, how did you approach sales prior to making the leap into design thinking? And what was the sales process like back then? This is a great question. And I, I love this question because um, there was a, big transformation in terms of how I viewed my customer before and after. And I think I could see some real changes. Let me give you an example. Um, I I, I work for two large companies um, and the company I worked prior to had a lot of PDFs, documentation, PowerPoint slides where we would take that and present to the customer, basically not understanding anything what the customer wanted, but we assumed that customer will need this and we just pitch, pitch, pitch. You know, if it sticks. Yeah, if you put it on a slide, it's real. Yeah, you yeah. Know? <laughs> and if it sticks to the customer, there, you have an opportunity, maybe a lead, maybe an opportunity, go close them. I think the real 
design what happened after design thinking is you got to like think very creatively in terms of what you're going to talk to your customer about right so you are like planning to understand what the customer does what kind of a business he's into and you be a customer by yourself and go to the stores or like if it's a operating company you kind of go to the operating companies and figure out what they're kind of into and then kind of come up with your own narrative and story that you can go tell your customer let me give you an example. I had this customer called Greyhound. What I did there was like took a bus journey from San Francisco to LA just to figure out what is the journey of a customer traveling in Greyhound bus. And trust me, I interviewed customers, I interviewed drivers, I interviewed uh, everyone possible which touched during that journey. And that gave me- And is this, this is before you were actually selling, right? Yeah. This is like- this is all. Where is this in like your process? Yeah, so this is like, so I think we just finished training um, and what we were asked to do is try and see if you can implement this training on your live customers. Greyhound was a customer which we never talked to. Um, it's <laughs> like a customer response back to us. Uh, but this was a Greenfield account, which I totally get, right? Um, and that's the, that's, that's the creative uh, thing you need to have to go and talk to this customer differently. Trust me, if it was slides and presentation, we would have not, you know, gotten into this account at all. So back to my story, when I came back and I started talking about the story to the customer, customer was like really impressed. One, there was so many insights I could share. I mean, the products came much later, but just sharing the problem. Hey, your driver, let me tell you how he takes the service request. Number two, if the internet is broken, let me tell you how it, how the internet, um, you know, whole issue of this broken down internet is taken over. It's on a sheet of paper. Do they even know these issues? So I wonder if like executives at Greyhound are even yeah, writing so, their own buses. Uh, <laughs> they're not. <laughs> so this is this is a funny conversation, right? So I'm sitting in front of VP of customer success. <laughs> She's like, please don't tell this to my executives or anyone else in the company because. <laughs> It's been about nine years and I've never taken a bus. <laughs> and it's it's so great that you kind of went through this journey and I kind of giving me the real time feedback. So I think that kind of, so I think the net of it is like, you know, you can come up with so many stories and like, you know, you can talk, I mean, you can personalize your story so well and you can tell your customer that, hey, what if I could fix this problem? And then the story connects the product and the product connects into an opportunity and then you are obviously going to close some big deals. I think that is a path I took very differently. And I think it becomes much more meaningful conversation versus just like presenting like 20 slides, which doesn't mean anything to the customer. Yeah, I mean, is it, it sounds like it's just about building a authentic relationship, like to show that you actually care, right? About the business that you're selling into. It's not kind of like a one way, I'm just like we were saying, throwing stuff at the wall. It's as a salesperson that I know enough to actually have a conversation about your business. Is that kind of what the aim of this whole thing is about? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think it sounds so simple when you say it, Sam, like we said earlier, but but we get lost in our own stuff. And that's exactly what it's all about. It's like, and I think what also happens, and Sachin, love to hear your point of view on this, is that you do all of a sudden care a lot differently about your customer. And that comes through in how you're talking and what you're selling, because now I actually have experienced them and 
I care about you and I want to help you solve this, which is a very different stance than I'm a salesperson. I'm trying to make my number. You happen to be on my target list. Let's work this out. Right. One thing I'm, I'm getting caught up with, with this one example that I think we can parse out a little bit is to me, I'm thinking, okay, Greyhound bus, CRM, like I'm having a very hard time understanding how like one, one thing is connected to the other, but maybe that's the point that you aren't always seeking out the problem that needs to be fixed by my solution, but that you actually just need to understand the client or understand the business or whatever it may be. Is that what it is that you don't actually have to find the solution? Yeah, I think one of the key points is like all of our customers use our software who use our software don't use it the same way. Customer A is different than customer B. Customer B is different than customer C. So if you look at it, when we know the pain points, let's say the KPIs for this customer is A, B, and C. Let's say the customer service of internet or fixing the bus was the key KPIs. What if we can translate that into a system which could show them that KPIs and then kind of go solve those problems, right? So those are the things you're looking for and not necessarily saying that, hey, you have this problem, let me go solve it. Actually doing the opposite, which is, hey, I know that you have this problem, let me help you with this, right? So that's how we are approaching it. Yeah, but Liz, I think you also bring up something that is really interesting uh, because I think it's not linear. It is this mental leap because you're like, the minute you start to look only for the things that you can solve with your solution, you narrow your window of what you are able to see and hear, right? You have confirmation bias or motivational bias. Like I only am only listening for what relates to my solution and you miss all this other information. Absolutely. So we sort of start, and this is what Sachin, you did on the Greyhound bus, like forget about what you're selling, just go experience them and then use that information to create an authentic connection and see what evolves. I also feel like that's how you build trust right? In a relationship. And that is one of those first things you talked about in the process. I think one key thing which I picked up from the training is a word observation. Like everywhere you go, you just observe. Mm. That creates your Mm. story. And I think that's very important. For me personally, all I did was observe and curiosity kind of came into that. Hmm. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. It's striking me that, you know, sales like design is so ubiquitous. And I'm guessing that you know, executives or business owners not taking part in their own service is probably like rampant (laughs) throughout Mm -hmm. the world. Mm -hmm. The other thing I'll add there is back to the expertise piece that you were talking about, Ashley, because like at the museum, we're talking to so many different organizations. We're able to not only say that I've talked to someone within your firm, but we're able to say I've talked to people at a hundred different firms who, and collectively there's this overarching what you know whatever it may be challenge or opportunity and being able to share that is so valuable and so i can imagine how uh people in sales teams who may not be getting exposure to new information on a regular basis have a hard time positioning themselves as that expert because this they're just regurgitating the same information but building kind of education and growth into the process is huge yeah, I, you just remind me of um, such and one of your colleagues who had said he had it was he had Ashley's furniture and he had gone in and he had done all this observation like you did, Sachin. And when he went and found the executive, the first thing out of the executive's mouth was like, "Oh, you look, you're about the age of my son." 
And so like immediately cut him down. And so he came back with like some nicety response, but then was saying, well, let me tell you about my experience with your brand. Right. And he said he automatically gained credibility. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's super interesting. Exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, Sachin, can you, so what was the impact with Greyhound um, and like kind of what resulted from your your bus trip? Yeah, I think I think we did well. Um, I think it was uh, a highlight account for the year. It was a long process, uh, but the journey to get there I think uh, I should give credit to a lot of people who worked um, in in sync to come up with a point of view, which could, you know, in the end, we could go sell this to Greyhound. And it, it ended up being almost a $3 million deal across continents, both UK and US were both, uh, you know, using Salesforce. So it was a great story. I think the journey to get there was um, really impactful. I love that. I love that you're you're um, measuring your success not only on the dollars that are coming in, but on the how much you're helping the customer and having that actually be a business decision, not just a feel good decision. I, well, I'm curious, Sachin, um, this idea we talked a little bit in the beginning of like, well, it's so obvious to put yourself in your customer's shoes and you know, like, why don't people do this more often? And I offered my own theory around why people don't actually sell like the way you do now. And, but I'm curious, like, what do you see in your colleagues who don't do this or in other organizations or where you came from? Like, why don't people do this? I think um, one of the things is, I think it is difficult to change the habit. Um, I think that's what we are stuck to. Um, there is a certain way the traditional, I mean, I come from both worlds, right? That's why I said this, really helped me change the way I sell because I come from a place where it was more slides. And I think people still believe that that works for them uh, because they feel that the more you try, the better you get at it, and then you'll eventually end up closing. But I think there are so many things missing. I think I think the big piece here is they haven't experienced this. I think it's a lack of awareness. Mm -hmm. I think more people would know the concept of design thinking in a business scenario, I think that people will start using it because it is, it's really fun, you know, doing sales <laughs> this way versus preparing slides, which doesn't resonate. And, and I think I can tell you this, my story, my personal story too, like I could have prepared for like 10 days to present a 20 slides presentation, which fell straight on my face because it didn't resonate. Nothing was um, what the customer wanted. Um, and I think if you can change that a little bit and say, hey, here's what I heard, here's how I can help, and then the slides will make it a perfect sense. And then the customer is like, kind of like, yeah, nodding his head. So it's about awareness, I guess. Liz, you've said this a lot that, you know, bringing creativity to sales mm -hmm. is like so rewarding, right? Because it is mm -hmm. then about problem solving. Um, and that's what I'm hearing. Yeah. Here. And I, f yeah. I feel like another part of that that's so important is actually caring about what you're selling, right? Like if you really believe in that there is an opportunity here to help somebody, it's so rewarding when you find that solution, whatever it may be. Maybe it ends up in a lot of money. Maybe it doesn't, whatever it may be. Everyone ends up happy at the end of the day. Uh, it's a very different sales process if you get to the end and you go, yes, I made all this money and you know the person's going to figure it out in however many <laughs> months that it was a bad move for them. But yeah. it doesn't matter because you've reached your 
goal, right? I just want to quote Sachin because this is a a great thing that you've said, um, which we tell others. You said, my talk track used to be about the Salesforce product. Now it's based on my experience with the customer's product. Mm. And I think you so well summed up what we're teaching people and now what you're doing. That's a good quote. So I have one last question for both of you. And we can just, you know, take turns um, for who answers. So what's your advice for sales teams that may have never really thought about design or design thinking uh, to try some of these techniques? What's the first thing that they should do? I think the first thing they can do is stay curious. So in the next conversation, practice saying why just three more times than you otherwise would. I always think of um, conversations often are like, a layer cake. We often just skate on the front layer. Like I ask you a question, you tell me an answer. I ask you another question, you tell me an answer. We just stay on the front, on the top layer versus, well, tell me more about that. And why do you do that? And you, there's like gold in the deep layer of the chocolate cake. Yeah. So go down, don't go across. I think for me, um, I would sum it up this way, right? Um, I think the key word I'm going to use again is observation, right? Everyone in sales today is looking to come up with a point of view. And the only way you could come up with a better point of view is be a customer, be a customer's customer, and try to understand or try to know how do they execute a certain sales process or try to learn about their business. And the more you learn, the more you observe, and then it relates back to uh, Ashley's comment, then you'll start getting curious about it. Oh, I love it. Awesome. Thanks so much for joining us, Sachin. Absolutely. Thanks for the opportunity. Yeah, we really appreciate it. Listeners, if you've never heard of it, uh, I'd be surprised, but check out salesforce.com. It's pretty great. And if you're interested in learning more um, about Sachin's journey and his work with Ashley, you can read Ashley's article in Design Museum Magazine, and we'll be sure to link to it on our show page. Now for our weekly dose of good design, where we share an example of good design that impacted us or others in a meaningful way. Liz, why don't you start us off this week? Yeah, absolutely. So in honor of Juneteenth, I wanted to share the historic Emancipation Park in Houston, Texas. The park was originally established in 1872 by four formerly enslaved individuals. And through a huge community effort, the park underwent an extensive renovation process, which was completed in 2017 by Perkins and Will with Phil Freelon, one of the lead designers. Uh, The design celebrates the park's founders and also commemorates Juneteenth with a beautiful ceremonial gateway and a promenade, and each year the park hosts a big Juneteenth celebration. It also had a theater and ball fields and these beautiful covered picnic pavilions, making the park really a hub for the community. And I really highly encourage everyone to uh, check it out, but also to look up Phil Freelon and his incredible design career. We were lucky enough to get to work with him on the We Design exhibition and share some of his story uh, and his work, including the Smithsonian National Museum of African-American History and Culture in Washington, D.C., where he was the lead designer of a four-firm team. Yeah, Phil is a rock star, was a rock star, is a legend now. 
um, as we we lost him last year. But yeah, very uh, great example there, Liz. We'll definitely put a, a link and some photos on the website. It's awesome. Thank you. My weekly dose of good design comes from space, specifically SpaceX. Uh, let's see, it was just a couple of weeks ago that the SpaceX Falcon 9 rocket launched two NASA astronauts into space um, to rendezvous with the International Space Station. Everyone knows I love space, but what really struck me from a design point of view were the spacesuits. Uh, so the astronauts, they wear these um, launch and entry suits that they wear during the launch and the re-entry. Uh, SpaceX hired a Hollywood costume designer named Jose Fernandez to completely rethink the spacesuit. And now I can see Liz because like space and superheroes and Hollywood, it's like all what I'm all about. Because um, Fernandez, he designed costumes for um, the movie Batman versus Superman. So it just kind of all comes together. Uh, and he brought that like superhero science fiction style to these new suits. I think these are really cool. And I really think that we got to keep adding these like design and science fiction flair to uh, human space exploration. And hopefully this is just the start of that. So that's mine. That's awesome. Uh, I feel like I can already imagine Rafi's Halloween costume this yes, year. She'll have a new <laughs> launch and entry suit from SpaceX. All right, Ashley, you're up next. All right, I got two. Oh, I'm gonna make I love this it. super practical. And this is, I'm gonna call this eye design. So um, I like having natural candles around. And since in this COVID environment, I haven't been shopping. So I thought, well, why don't I just make some? Mm. So I discovered this super easy thing you can do. You can buy like five pounds of natural soy wax for 20 bucks, get it delivered, have little, you know, if you have old candle containers or a little bottle or something, you just melt that wax. Put in a candle wick. Done. Put in a little peppermint oil and boom, you've got an amazing candle. That's awesome. I can't even believe it. So that's one. Two, um, I am in love with the Snacks podcast. It's hosted by Robin Hoods. And the reason I love it is because I feel like they put themselves in my shoes. So they give me stock information, which usually I don't care about, but they make it really funny. There are two guys, Nick and Jack. They talk about snacks daily. They talk about three stories, and then they have this funny rap to review the legalities at the beginning. Oh, my gosh. That's awesome. And it's only 15 minutes, so snacks daily. Oh, yeah, podcast. we'll definitely have to link to that. That sounds awesome. Two good ones. Awesome. Thank you, and, and thank you, Liz. Those are both really great. Thank you again to Ashley Welch and Sachin Rai for joining us this week. We'll post links to some of the things we talked about today, including Ashley's article from Design Museum Magazine and her book, Naked Sales. And be sure to check out our We Design exhibition. We're really excited to share it with you all. Just visit designmuseumeverywhere.org and click on exhibitions. We can continue this conversation online. Like us, follow us on Twitter. We're at design underscore museum. On Instagram, we're at design museum everywhere. And on Facebook and LinkedIn, you can find us by searching design museum everywhere. And remember to subscribe to Design is Everywhere on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or wherever you listen to your podcast and rate us. You can even leave a review that really helps people find the new show. Yeah, we can use some more reviews. Let's get some more on there. That would be nice. This episode was written by me, Sam Aquilano, and we're produced by Ryan Flom. We're edited by David Green, and our theme music is Orange Sunset by One Wave. For Liz Pollack and the entire team here at Design Museum Everywhere, thank you, and we'll talk to you again next week. Bye, everyone.